Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. We're in our series as intended, and we've been looking at everything Jesus said and everything He didn't say about relationships. And so we've been looking in the book of Matthew at how Jesus sums up the meaning of life, the whole intent of God's design for human life in one word, which is love. Love God and love people. And so in the last few weeks, we've been in Matthew 5, where Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he's analyzing all of the deep sources of the things that tear our relationships apart. Anger, contempt, lust, the manipulative use of language, And so he's comparing each of those things with the dynamics of love. That when our hearts are pervaded with the love of God, that we become people of forgiveness, of repentance, of faithfulness, of truthfulness. And this morning, Jesus, he's been getting into lots of controversial topics along the way. We've been walking with him as he touches on all those things. And this morning is no different (laughs) because today Jesus gets into the topic of our rights, right? We're not going to be talking about the constitution. (laughs) Matthew 5, 38 to 42, Jesus talks to us about the dynamic of selflessness and it has to do with our rights. So the topic today, the title is life, liberty, and the pursuit of selflessness. All right, so I'm going to read this section. If you'd open your Bibles to Matthew 5, 38. I'll make a couple comments along the way. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist or do not be hostile to the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, which implies a a backhanded slap. In other words, it's a slap not for injury, but for insult. He says, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. So we get what he's saying there. The tunic was the, that's the undergarment that people would wear on the skin. Even the poorest person would have at least two of these and that could be taken by law, but a cloak No one could take your cloak by law. That was the outer garment that people would, would, especially poor, poorer people would sleep in there. So the, the law prohibited taking that night, taking the cloak. Verse 41. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. And many of you know, this is referring to the Roman practice that Roman officials could, when they were journeying on official business, they could compel anyone that they met on the road to carry their baggage for a Roman mile. He says, go with him two miles. Verse 42, he says, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. And of course, the ancient world did not have a welfare state system. And there were many, many people who were destitute, just like many cities, many places around the world today, filled with people in need, asking for money, asking for assistance. Okay, so the things that we've been looking at in the last few weeks 
anger, contempt, lustful objectification, manipulative language, all of those things, you can, you can see that they're obviously bad. Those are things that even our modern laws regulate. But then we come to see what Jesus is saying here, and it seems like he's going way too far. It seems like he's going far beyond anything that any of us would call bad. It seems like now he's beginning to disrupt things that are just simple good sense. And you might even say he's disrupting things that are actually protections against abuse. Can we really not defend ourselves when someone insults us? Should we really let people take advantage of us in court? Should we really just comply with unjust government demands? Should we really give in to everyone who begs or borrows from us? I think most people, if, if we're honest, we look at what Jesus says here and we think, okay, this is, this is a little bit too much. This is, this is, okay, Jesus, I get what you're saying about all the other things, but this, this is a little ridiculous, all right? And generally, when we have that reaction to something Jesus is saying, generally, it's an indication that we need to pay even more attention because he's beginning to touch on the deeper things. But a lot of people would look at this and they would say, well, okay, if you try and take this seriously, if you try and live like this, it's going to make you a doormat. Right? And not only that, it's going to leave you naked, broke, and oppressed. (laughs) Malcolm X said, if you turn the other cheek, you can be enslaved for a thousand years. And I think that is a very common reaction to what Jesus is saying here. No matter what part of the political spectrum you find yourself on, nobody acts like this. It's not the way to get ahead in the world. Nothing maybe that Jesus has said so far and what we've been looking at in the Sermon on the Mount, nothing probably contradicts worldly wisdom so much as what he's just said. All right, so what in the world is he saying? I think what he's doing here is he's drilling deeper into the heart of love and he's addressing himself now not to our wrongs, but to our rights. Because when you, when you look at each of these things, each of these things are touching on things that a person can absolutely reasonably claim as a right. All right? A right to self-defense. A right to, sorry, a, a right to dignity and due process. A right to self-determination. A right to personal property. All of these things are the, are the, the very kinds of things that all the constitutions of the world, most, most of the constitutions of the world's nations have specific laws designed to protect. Of course, America was the first nation to self-consciously design itself around the idea that every person has laws that the, the Declaration of Independence called that are inalienable. All right? So we need to talk about rights. What do we mean by rights? Well, the first point here is that rights protect privileges and limit claims. All right? So 
rights are about protecting the privileges, the prerogatives, the freedoms that we alone, that each of us has over things, primarily over our person and our property. So it's the idea that only you have prerogative over your body, over your property, over your name, and your rights are about protecting those privileges. And I'm using privilege in, in, the, in the best sense possible, okay? There are things that you, you should have the privilege. No one else should have the privilege to have a say on in normal circumstances. Okay, so that's one half of rights. And the other half of rights is that they're about limiting the claims that other people can lawfully make on you. So other people, because of our rights, other people can't lawfully do whatever they want with your name, your reputation, we have libel laws about those things and things that you, you have to be truthful with what you print about somebody or they'll, they'll, they have the right to sue you for defamation, all right? People can't do whatever they want with your body. They can't do whatever they want with your property. Your rights are about, are about protecting those most basic things that we need to, to live and have freedom. So rights ensure that we have immunity against unjust claims whether that comes from other people or even when that comes from a government. So in that sense, I would say rights are necessary boundaries for human flourishing. They are necessary boundaries for human flourishing. And I just, I love how Jesus, I did not expect this to come up, but I love how Jesus gets into all these things. And the particular right that Jesus is talking about, it's, it's called the lex talionis. It's the, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This goes back to the very earliest written legal code that we know of called the Code of Hammurabi. It's, it's from 1800 BC. And I mean, to modern ears, it sounds a little barbaric. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But actually, this is stating a very important legal principle in the history of the world. It's the law of proportionality. The, the punishment has to be proportional to the crime. If someone injures you and hurts your eye, you can't just kill them. You don't have the right to do something that is far out of proportion to the crime. And so what that is, is a limit that protects the dignity of the other person. And it's a limit that helps ensure justice. And without that, things very quickly descend into endless cycles of violence, of blood fuels, of feuds, of vendettas. It's the kind of thing that you see in, you know, in gang warfare where, where someone gets killed over an insult. Well, this is, this is about limiting that by the force of law and rights. So we absolutely need rights like that to protect human flourishing, to protect fairness. And so the first thing we have to clear up is that Jesus is absolutely not abolishing laws like this. He's not abolishing such laws. An implication of that, and I want to say this right here right now, is that the one thing that Jesus is absolutely not doing is that by this, he's not giving ammunition for oppressors, for abusers to use these things to, as weapons against people and then say, well, you should turn the other cheek. Well, you should go the extra mile. And so he's not giving license to abuse people and then tell them, use these things as, as rules, as weapons. 
Nothing could be more contrary to the heart and spirit of Jesus. And so just like he showed us with anger, just like he showed us with desire, with, with language, when we take something good that's called rights and we turn them into a tool of selfishness, they distort, they dehumanize, they actually break relationships. And so the next point here is that rights as weapons destroy relationships. And this is something that we see pretty clearly in society. Jamal Green is professor of law at, at Columbia, and he wrote a book called Obsessed with Rights, How Rights Are Tearing Us Apart in America. And he says, he, he's arguing that the way that we talk about rights, the way that we think of rights is, is leading to this breakdown in society. Because what he says is we've effectively given rights this sacred status that nothing can challenge. They've become absolutes. They've become kind of like trump cards that nothing else can challenge. And so what that creates is everyone is hungry to prove that they have a, a certain right to something. Because if they have the right, then they, they, they win. And so it becomes, in that way, he says, it becomes more of a weapon, a defense, which is what it's designed to be. And the effect is we've got this society that's marked more and more by legal interpretations than it is by relationships of mutual, mutual compromise, of, of agreement, of reasoning together and reaching a compromise. And so you, you see that in society, but I think you also see it in personal relationships. Because if you're in a relationship and each person, or, or, or if I'm in a relationship and I'm exclusively focused on my rights, on what I deserve, on what I should get, all it produces is selfishness. And it ends up having this dehumanizing effect on the other person and how we see the other person because we begin to see them as a means for my goals, for my ends. And Immanuel Kant, the, the philosopher, said, we should never treat another person as a means to an end. They are an end in themselves. They are an end in themselves. But I want us to examine this, okay? Why not? Why, you have to ask, should we not treat people as means to our ends? If all we are is a random, you know, collocation of atoms and, and proteins and, and we were completely by accident, then what exactly is the reason why we should not have strong over the weak, why we should not take advantage, why we should not use other people to advance our own goals. Why should abusers not abuse? Why should oppressors not oppress? There was a Catholic philosopher named Jacques Maritain who was one of the people at the, the head of drafting the, the UN Declaration of Human, of Human Rights in 1948. And by the way, that declaration is kind of like, it's kind of like the closest thing that the world has to a shared statement of morality. And when all the nations of the UN were gathering in, in 1948, they were gathering to form this document. Maritain, he made this comment. He, some, he said, some people looking at this gathering, they were astonished that all these champions of completely different ideologies could agree on this list of rights. You had everything from, from communists to capitalists to Catholics to Muslims to Buddhists and everything in between agreeing on this set of rights. And he says, yes, they said, we agree about the rights 
but on condition that no one asks us why. That's, that why is where the argument begins, he says. But here's the thing, we, we, we need a why. Because without a why, human rights, and you, you, you see this very clearly in all the countries of the world that supposedly sign up to the Human Rights Declaration, Charities like Human Rights Watch exist because not everyone's doing it. If human rights are going to be anything more than just a nice idea, if people are actually going to be obligated to keep them, then we need to know why they should keep them. Martin Luther King, of course, is remembered as one of the greatest champions of human rights in history. And in the letter uh, letter from Birmingham Jail, he asks, how do we know whether a law is unjust? He says we can only know if a law is unjust is if there is a higher law that tells us it's unjust. Otherwise, those laws are just arbitrary. If, if the law of the state, if the law of the, the monarch or the will of the people, if that's the ultimate thing, then whatever they say is just is just. And human rights can only exist if there's something above them. And that's why many people have recognized that the only real foundation for what we call rights, the only thing that can give us a sense of rights that are actually untouchable, that are unchangeable, that are obligatory, is what we call the doctrine of the image of God. The imago Dei. Because if every human being is made in the image of God, it means they have a dignity that nothing can take away. Not a government, not a tribe, not a family, not a a mental, physical state. Nothing can remove that human dignity if a person is made in the image of God. And that's what Martin Luther King knew. That's what guided his entire approach. And so the, the, the summary here is that rights are only inviolable in the Imago Dei. Okay, now all this seems a little bit esoteric, but we're getting to a point here, okay? Because I think we begin, as soon as we see that, that rights can only exist if we're actually made in the image of God, we're starting to get into a little bit of what Jesus is pointing us towards here. Humanity is made in the image of God and we're made in the image of the God who is love. Jesus says, love fulfills the law. Why? Because it's the expression of God's own character. And the only reason we can say God is love is because God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is Trinity. He is relationship in himself. Scripture reveals to us that the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and they're equal in power, they're equal in glory, they're equally to be worshipped. In other words, Every person of the Trinity has all the rights, the privileges, the freedoms of the Godhead. And yet what we see is they are continually pouring themselves out towards one another. The Father glorifies the Son. The Son glorifies the Father. The Holy Spirit glorifies the Father, the Son. And it's this endless, eternal self-giving of love. And so the point here is that self-giving love is the nature of God. Jesus is telling us the higher law is the law of love. 
The ultimate ethic is the the, the law of self-giving love. And love is not, it's not only not treating other people as a means to an end. Love is becoming the means yourself for other people's ends. It's becoming the means of another person's well-being. And so I want to bring this down into marriage and and friendship and relationships. How do we apply this? Well, do you want a happy marriage? (laughs) It's rhetorical. (laughs) Decide to give yourself for your spouse's happiness. Because when two people go into a marriage looking for that person to make them happy. If I go into a marriage and if I go into a marriage for my wife to make me happy and she does the same thing. She enters the marriage for for me to make her happy, looking for fulfillment, looking for happiness out of the other person, then what you're doing actually is you're making that marriage and that person a means to an end. Right? And so it's probably the biggest reason why marriage in, in the world's eyes, it's, it, it's really just become a contract. Two people coming together for the sake of a happiness that they're looking for. And so you enter a contract. A contract is when two people come together and they make an agreement over some recognized good, some recognized outcome, okay? And when the terms of the contract are broken, well then you, you, you split the contract and each person lays claim to their rights, as stated in the contract, right? That's what we do with contracts. But a covenant is something different. A covenant is not something you go into to get something else. A covenant is something two people come into for the sake of each other. You covenant with someone, not for the sake of what they can give you, but for the sake of having that person. Love doesn't focus on what it's getting. It's focused on the beloved, It's one and the same thing. The ultimate goal is not something other than the beloved. If you marry someone for their money, there's a word for that. That's not marrying for love, right? If you marry someone and they happen to be rich, well, you know, amen to you. But... The point is, we, we, we know this, that love, that's not what love does. We can, we can spot that a mile away. Love marries a person because the goal, the, the ultimate prize of the lover is the beloved. Not what the beloved has, not what the beloved can give them. And so if two people in a marriage can focus on the good of the other person, it's kind of this paradox because they both end up getting what they want. When you're focused on your own wants and your own needs and you try and make that person an ends to that, a means to that end, what you find out is that they can't fulfill you. You're, you're inevitably going to be disappointed and you're going to be crushed. But if you decide to make yourself the means to their end, to their greatest joy, their greatest happiness, their greatest well-being, if both people can do that, then you actually both get the, the prize of that covenant, which is each other. Love makes me a means to another person's good. 
And it, it, I think this holds true if you think about friendship as well. Because we've been seeing all the way through the series that, that relationship advice in the kingdom, it's not only for marriage, it's, it's for singleness, because after all, Jesus was single, Paul was single, and singleness is dignified and valid in service to God. And so if we think about friendship in particular, a lot of times, I don't know if anyone other than me has ever felt like this, but sometimes we get upset in our friendships because we're not getting our wants, our needs, our desires fulfilled. You know, why do I always have to be the one to text? Why do I have to be the one to always make the invitation? I paid for the check the last three times. Well, what, what if I decided to make myself the kind of friend to my friend that will be focused on, on their needs, their happiness, what they genuinely need, their well-being? What if I orient myself to my friend's good and focused on the things that they love, that, that make them happy, that are, are, are leading towards their wholeness and well-being? And has anyone read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People? I mean, it's right out of there. Dale Carnegie, he gives all these principles, and, and it's exactly kind of what we're talking about. He says, he says groundbreaking things like this. Show interest in other people. Be a good listener. Be sincere. Don't try and win arguments. He's just describing what, what being a good friend looks like, right? And so it fits right in with what Jesus says because Jesus says the way to gain your life is to lose it. The way to find yourself is to give yourself away. And so the, the, this paradox of the kingdom, this paradox of love is love is something you only get when you give it away. We give it away, but we get it back. We give it away to our beloved, but then we get it back in our beloved. So, do rights matter? Yes, they absolutely do, all right? We've been seeing is that the love of God, it, it makes us adamantly guard the rights of others. But here's the thing, it makes us utterly disregard our own rights in order to love others. And here's, here's the next point, is that selfless love subverts evil with good. Selfless love subverts evil with good. And it's exactly that power that we remember, that we celebrate this morning on Palm Sunday. Jesus was king. King of not only Israel, but creation of the universe. And so we're celebrating a king like no other. We see in what Jesus does on Palm Sunday is he completely subverts power. He subverts the idea of his prerogatives as king. He subverts what, what it looks like to, to, to rule. A king who entered his royal city not enthroned in power, but robed in weakness. He came into Jerusalem not as a conquering general, but as a sacrificial lamb. 
Jesus is the king who claimed no privilege, no rights, except to serve his people and suffer for them. The kind of king who did not demand that his people die for him, but who died for his people. And you look at all the things that Jesus says here to his disciples, the things that he says characterize the heart of love. And of course, they're exactly his character. They're exactly what he did. Jesus did not return hostility for hostility. He did not return insult for insult. He allowed his miscarriage of justice towards himself. He allowed them to lay the cross on him and carry it all the way to his own death. And he not only gave his possessions, he gave his very self. And now he does not refuse anyone who asks of him. And there's a promise in the book of Romans that says, will, he who, will not he who gave us his only son also not give us everything else? He does not refuse any good thing from his children. Do you see how you can let go? Do you see how you can, how you can release all those things that we so tightly hold on to? We can let go because in him, we're actually secure. Actually secure. More secure than any law, any right written on any statute can, can actually make us. More secure than any number in the bank account can ever make us. More secure than any number of children that love us can ever make us. We're honored beyond what any insult could possibly take from us. We're provided for and we're never exploited. Even when the world exploits us, we can never actually be exploited because Jesus says, you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And you are, here's, here is the state that you are constantly in when you're in the kingdom of heaven. It's called blessed. You're blessed even when you mourn. You're blessed when you're hungry, when you're thirsty. You're blessed when you're naked without a roof over your head or clothes on your back. You're blessed when people revile you and persecute you and do all sorts of evil against you because you belong to Jesus. And as long as we're centered on securing our own well-being, we end up using our rights as a means of protecting our privilege, of, of limiting what other people can claim on us, holding people at arm's length. But Jesus says your actual well-being, your ultimate eternal well-being is in the kingdom and you are blessed no matter the outer circumstances. And so you know what that does? It gives you a whole, a whole new right it gives you a whole new privilege as a citizen of the kingdom of God. And it's this, it's the privilege of being the means to other people's good. This is the last point that selfless love is the freedom of the gospel. And once again, we can't take any, 
We've been seeing this all the way through. Don't take these things as, as laws. The one thing Jesus is expressly not doing is giving us more laws. He's showing us what it looks like to fulfill the laws. And so these are not laws. They're not demands. These are not things that anyone could actually command as a law. What Jesus is saying is these are your freedoms as a Christian. You are now free because of the gospel, because of what I've done for you. You're free from the need to have to defend yourself. You're free from the need to have to have all your rights met by by the people around you. You're free from all of those things because you're in me. And you know what? Here's, here's the, the mind-blowing thing. This, this, this is just a, it's a principle that just works, okay? Now you look at this and you say, well, th- no one can live like that. It just makes you a doormat. And yet, scholars point out, this is exactly the philosophy that has led to the greatest movements of justice, forgiveness, reconciliation, healing at a national, at an ethnic scale that the world has ever seen. This is the philosophy that inspired Gandhi fighting colonial oppression in India. This is the philosophy that, that inspired Desmond Tutu in South Africa with truth and reconciliation after apartheid. This is the philosophy that inspired this very passage, in fact, inspired Martin Luther King in the civil rights movement. And, and I, I don't have time to get into it, but scholars, secular scholars will point out this is the most powerful form of resistance— to oppression because it turns, it turns evil in on itself. When people see someone being mistreated and oppressed and they bear the suffering, it reveals evil as evil. It, it starts to, to, to change hearts. It starts to shift mindsets. And what we've seen in, in the history, just even in the last century, of how transformative this truth actually is. But it's transformative in our personal relationships too, guys. Not just men. Guys in like the, the unisex East Coast kind of way. <laughs> I have to say that because my next phrase is to do with husbands. Because here's the thing. I'm talking about marriage and, and, and relationships. When husbands fix their eyes on Jesus on the good husband who laid down his rights, who laid down his privileges, who laid down his preferences for the bride, it softens our hearts. It it changes our hearts. That's the only way. When we look at Jesus and we see what he did for us, it it makes us able to lay down our lives for our our wives. And that's what scripture tells us. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. (laughs) His joy, amen, his joy was was the bride's well-being. Hebrews says, he endured the cross, he despised the shame for the joy that was set before him. The joy that was set before him was the church, the bride. And when we look at Jesus on the cross, if, if, if you're single today, we look at Jesus on the cross, the man, the single savior who died, bearing the, the, the suffering of not having the, the, the joys and the comforts and the, and the, of family and children and marriage and all those things. Jesus went through that. He walked through that and he laid down his life for his friends. And he said, no greater love has anyone than to lay down their life for their friends. 
There is no greater love. And so what what I'm trying to tell you is that when we're fixated on Jesus, the gospel sets us free to be a community that lays down our lives for one another. It sets us free to make ourselves the means for other people's good. We don't, we no, we're no longer, we don't no longer have to be obsessed with getting our own good, with obtaining it and then protecting it. And when we do that, we become a community of self-giving love that reflects the Trinity. It reflects the very heart and character of God. And you know what? It fulfills the law as a byproduct. And only the gospel gives us the freedom to do that. Because there's, there's, there's really three paths in life, and I'm just going to outline this very quickly, and then we're going we're gonna to close and, and pray together. There's some people who are going through life just on their own, trying to make their way by whatever means possible to get rich or die trying, to, to, to climb the ladder no matter how many necks they have to step on. It's, it's this, this selfish drive to gain an ambition that actually you find out it burns all the relationships in your wake, and you end up at the top of the mountain all alone. And so that's one path. But there's another path, which is some people are, are trying, they're hearing these things, and maybe you've been hearing these messages, and you've been hearing time after time, here's another thing I have to do. Here's another law, here's another rule, and I'm going to take that, and I'm going to live it, and, and if I live it, then I'll become a good person, and God will have to, be, uh, God will have to love me and accept me. And I want to tell you, if that's what you've heard in these messages, you're missing the whole point. You're missing what Jesus is saying because he's not telling you about something you must do. He's telling you about something he has done and that we proclaim in the good news. And as we, as we believe it, as we bring it into our lives, it, it transforms us. It sets us free. It sets you free from the religious mindset of trying to perform well enough for God. Because every time we do that, what you see even with the, 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 the Pharisees that Jesus butted heads with so often is that every time you're in that mindset, you're also turning people into a means to an end. And when people, when you encounter people that somehow disrupt your holiness or, or, or don't fit in with your religious program, then you, you, you cut them out of your life. And so it, it also leads to the breakdown in relationships. And of course, you don't see Jesus doing either of those things. The gospel says, it's finished. Jesus died for you. He, he died the death that you deserved. But he also lived the life that you should have lived. It's finished. The law is completed. It's fulfilled. And so if you're in him, you're in the kingdom of God and you're blessed. You have no need to retaliate because you're blessed. You have no need to secure your well-being, your rights and your privileges in order to make sure that everything's going to be okay because you are secure in the kingdom of God. It's not rooted in reputation or possessions or self-determination. It is rooted in him. And because of that freedom, we receive the privilege to lay down our rights because the one who had every right in the universe laid down his for us. Let's close in prayer and invite the the worship teams at both campuses to come up and we'll just close with a song.
Lord Jesus, we recognize as we look at this that we spend so much time and effort and obsession over securing the things that we believe we deserve and that we so often do in fact deserve. But Lord God, it leads us so often to treat other people as a means to get what we want. Lord Jesus, thank you that you did not use us like that. Lord, that even though you had every right, you had every privilege, you deserved every single thing in all of creation, you didn't cut us off. You came and you laid down each and every one of those rights. You gave yourself for us on the cross, Lord. And so, Jesus, this morning, we want to declare that you are the king and that we owe everything to you. Lord God, I pray that as we, Jesus, as we look at you on the cross, as we look at the rights that you laid down for us, Lord, that it would begin to transform our hearts, that we would be freed from all the things that we clutch onto for security. Jesus, you are our only true security. The only thing that if we have you, nothing can take it away. Nothing can remove us from the love of God. So Jesus, would you bring that truth deep into our hearts to release areas where we continue to be enslaved by a need to prove ourselves, a need to, to demand what we're, what we're owed, Lord, that we would begin, begin to let go and be free, finally, to love other people for their own good, to truly love them as you've loved us. Lord, would you bring that about? Holy Spirit, would you work that into our relationships, our friendships, our families, our, our marriages, our, our, our dating relationships, all of these things, Lord God, and that you would transform us into the kind of community that displays who you are by how much we give ourselves for others. Not only Christians, but for the world. We pray this and we give it to you, Lord. You're the King. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the NC4 Podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word JESUS to 610-816-6062. 